now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today, the ultimate secret to wealth creation. Shh, tell everybody. Plus, are there large profits in tiny places? And what's the meaning of life? This and other deep subjects today on The Backyard Millionaire. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture. You know, I'm having a blast writing the sequel to the book, The Backyard Millionaire, called The Schoolyard millionaire and my goal is to have it out by thanksgiving this year but i'll keep you posted but i was thinking about the book and and as you write a sequel and it's totally different characters sort of definitely different circumstance this one i'm aiming at young people younger people and by the way anybody any age can enjoy and read the backyard millionaire this this i i know for a fact because i hear from people who have enjoyed it at any and all ages so but the schoolyard millionaire is about a young kid, middle, middle-aged skit, school kid, that, that learns the secrets of wealth building and life and, and how to handle money and how to start a business and all the finer points from somebody who is his mentor, who is older and wealthier and wiser. But it, but it started me thinking a lot about, of course, the book, the main book, the original book, The Backyard Millionaire. And the leading character in that book is called August, and he meets a guy called Oscar. And this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but... It doesn't take away from the the fun of reading this book to know that Oscar is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And August chooses a different path. As you learn through reading the book, he chooses a path of his own. And he loves it. He loves his life. He loves where he ends up at the end of a long career, at the end of a life, towards the end of a life. He, he loves where he's at. And he ends up with four homes And again, he stays in his hometown. He finds his wealth. He finds his meaning. He finds his life and purpose where he's at with what he's got. And the beauty of this is you get to decide what wealth means to you. So we talk about the backyard millionaire, how to create wealth, where you are with what you've got. Well, what does that mean? That means something different to everybody. There's no one definition of wealth. A byline of this show has always been health, wealth, and prosperity, meaning health being the most important. It's the first thing on the list. It's the first asset. It's the most important asset on your balance sheet is your health. Absent it, no wealth or prosperity in the world makes a difference at all. But And then wealth is your income, your income stream, your career, what you do for work. That's your wealth that generates then prosperity. Where do you put your wealth? How do you invest your wealth into prosperity and and streams of income going forward that you don't work for? And so may I suggest you keep all three of these in mind as you map out your future fortune. As you map out where you want to go, you're the cartographer of your own wealth line. You're the cartographer of where you're going to go in this world in what you put in priority, in what you choose to do, who you choose to do it with, and four, 
For he who gains the whole world and loses his soul, what has he really got? Not a lot. Not a lot indeed. I should probably know <clears throat> the exact verse where that comes from, but I'm just going to leave it at that. And I don't believe that there was rhyme in it either, but I added my own little spin on that. I'm anxious to talk to Rhonda Johnson also today with our mortgage moment. She's with Cornerstone Home Lending. Going to ask her some questions about a recent article I read in Forbes magazine. Also, um, you hear me talk a lot, and I got, a, I got a piece of criticism, actually, from a listener relative to my conversation with Robert G. Allen. And if you heard the conversation, you might, might feel this way. Maybe my friend was criticizing me, emblematic of what others thought of that conversation and that interview. And I said, decided, well, I'm going to do something about that. If you missed that show, you can go to our website, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast, and listen to it. It's the most recent Backyard Millionaire posted there. Or you can go anywhere you collect podcasts online through your phone, app, whatever, and just type in Backyard Millionaire, and there we are. But the criticism was, you made it sound too easy. Robert G. Allen talks about just buying two homes a year. He goes, just buy two homes a year and do that for 10 years, and you'll have 20 homes, and you'll have $30,000 a month income or more. And my friend was saying, Chris, it's just not that easy for everybody. And she herself is in finance. And she said, you know, a lot of people will come to me. She's in hard money lending. A lot of people will come to me and they say, well, I, I, how do I do this? How do I get started? Where do I get the money? And so we'll talk to Rhonda Johnson about that. You've got a home. How do you get the next home? We'll break it down and really spend some time on the nuts and bolts of that. So it isn't left to chance or it isn't just left to sound too easy because it isn't easy, but it can be done. That I promise you. Today is the first time ever in my 16 years of broadcasting that I'm doing so wearing a nasal strip. My allergies are so awful this season. I don't know about you, but mine are just so awful this season. I'm, I'm, I've taken literally to broadcasting with a nasal strip on. I, you could probably hear it. I don't know. That's okay. I got my mojo working. Chris Story here along with Mr. David Webb engineering the broadcast. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. Future Fortune, what is Forbes reporting? Well, Forbes Magazine... I've got some good news, and I, I like to pick and choose my news these days. I like to, to think about things a little bit more optimistically. I want to look, I want to know what's happening, but also I'm very careful about reading just doom and gloom because I know it's manufactured for, for clicks and headlines. But Forbes has an article deep within the magazine. I had to look for it. Now, with inflation waning, they say there's hope mortgage rates will fall to 5% in 2024. These lower rates would make borrowing to buy a home less expensive. They could, however, make the housing market much harsher for first-time home buyers. That's because a drop in the mortgage rates would cause an increase in demand, and more demand without more supply is a recipe for competition. Like in 2021, we could see a spike in bidding wars, with a typical home selling above its asking price in record time. First-time home buyers should prepare for a challenging road ahead as inflation dies down. And I don't think that that's terrible advice. I will be asking Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lighting, look, do you, 
Do you feel the same way? Are we approaching a 5% interest rate in 2024? Is that even possible? Is it prognosticatably possible? Can anybody assure us of that? Then the question I've got is, are you going to wait? Do you want to wait for that? Or do you act now? And if you do wait, is what if Forbes is right and you have steeper competition and prices go up? Would you be better off purchasing today, investing today, and refinancing when the rates drop below, say, six or five and a half tomorrow? Here's an idea. What if you went from commercial to accommodations? It's a thought that I've been having lately about looking at and for commercial property that could be converted to an accommodation to a residential property. You know, is it time to look at underused, underserved commercial buildings and space when we obviously have a huge demand for residential real estate, residential rentals? Maybe it's time to look in your area. Are there any commercial buildings that come to mind that are sitting there vacant unused or underused, underperformed, 50% vacant, maybe with a dying business. And you look at that and you say, you know, could this make a cool reno and retrofit into sort of a, a loft or a series of lofts or several apartments, several rentals for residential space, which we know is in mass demand. However, a word of warning and just a thought and a caveat, be careful about the zoning, make sure that it will allow for as a primary use residence. See, a lot of commercial zoning in different cities will allow residence as a secondary use of the property as long as industrial or, or commercial is primary use. So you do have to be careful. I don't want to mislead anybody, but I do want to think about warehouses, any rundown commercial space, uh, maybe an old ma-pa business that maybe is on its, you know, in the 11th hour, the waning days of its life and existence, might you want to go talk to them? What if you even said, I'll take a first right of refusal, do some due diligence, put yourself together a first right of refusal. And when it's time to convert that property to a residential space, maybe you'll be in a position to do it. See, that's the circle of life. A little too on the nose? Maybe. But I couldn't resist. We once, Tiffany and I once built a commercial building, turned it into a residential building, sold it then, and it's remained a commercial building ever since. Coming up here on the Backyard Millionaire, Rhonda Johnson with your mortgage moment. We'll be talking about interest rates. Does she agree with Forbes magazine? And how can you buy your next home? Plus, the greatest secret to wealth you've ever heard. Stick around, we'll be right back. You are listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Time now for our mortgage moment with Rhonda Johnson of Cornerstone Home Lending. Anywhere in the world, you can reach out to Rhonda at rondajohnson.net. Rhonda, Forbes magazine is suggesting that interest rates may go as low as 5% in 2024. Are you reading the tea leaves the same way? <laughs> well, um, you know, it may be a little bit earlier than that, actually, Chris. But, um, you know, a lot of times what I'll see during presidential election years, especially 
if we have incumbents running is that we'll see a little dip in the interest rates whether they go down that low or not i don't know but um lower interest rates make a lot of happy people happy so happy people vote for you right <laughs> and right. so uh in the last 40 years that i've been doing this anyway that's what i normally see during the um election years so that's one thing i don't know you know the um they're having their meetings right now and paul just got on saying at least two more rate hikes of equaling about 50 basis points or a quarter percent um each time by the end of the year so that's not always really great for uh predicting those uh, lower rates later on um so i don't know i don't know what we're going to see yet but that's the hope that's what most of the industry is is expecting well the forbes is also pretty clear that if that comes true the the lower interest rates going to cause uh, a greater demand greater demand absent more supply creates more yes. competition so that leads right into our next discussion is the cost of waiting for that interest rate. It, there is a calculable, measurable cost of waiting and lost opportunity also. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I looked up uh, uh, just recently the current appreciation rate on average for Alaska, and it said it was 6.84%. So almost 7% appreciation. If I plugged in a simple 3% calculation into the formula, then if you waited even six months, um, hoping for a lower interest rate, then you'd be missing out on about $15,000 between appreciation and amortization, and amortization being the payments that you make, so the portion of your payment that goes to the principal. So even in six months, you could lose out on about $15,000 on, say, a $500,000 loan. If you waited one year, that increases to about $22,000. And if you wait two years, it's $52,000. Three years brings it up to eighty-three thousand, using only a three percent appreciation rate. So waiting may not be the best bet, in my opinion. You know, find your forever home, but this does not have to be your forever loan. And so, with the appreciation rates, then that would easily cover the refinance costs to take those lower rates when they do happen, and go ahead and get into your home now before the inflation increases those um, and appreciation increases those sales prices and then you're exactly what you said we're in way more competition because those lower rates are going to bring out more home buyers that can now afford that might not be able to do it right now with a little bit higher rates i was counseling a, a property owner this morning they were asking me about the long term of what's happening in the market long term should i keep my property for another year what if i do keep it for another year and a half or two years what, what's going to happen and the conversation goes a little bit like this. There's been a cooling of sorts over the last eight, nine months, but not a dip in prices or value, but there's been a cooling in that that will heat back up when interest rates drop or there's some other surge demand that will cause multiple offers. And that's what Forbes was citing, that we could go back to the 21 phenomenon, which I call it, it was a real phenomenon, at least in the 21 years I've been doing this, to see that many multiple offers such that our MLS systems around the country were having to scramble to put together documents, ubiquitous documents to handle, hey, okay, everybody's getting multiple offers. Here's a form you can use to settle this out so there's less confusion in the process. Mm -hmm. And so as that interest rate does drop, that's going to come into play. And, and what you might have yeah. to pay in a bidding situation 
could yes. far outstrip any savings of having waited for that lower interest rate that, to your other point, may not actually arrive. So get on board yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. And I just looked up a, a NAR, National Association of Realtors, um, statistic that says that right now about 33% of all homes are going for um, bidding over asking price. So that's nationwide. And so nationwide, then you're seeing about 33% of those homes being sold for more than the asking price. So, you know, it's not 100%. It's not not even quite 50% yet, but it's a good chunk. You should never ask a woman how old she is nor how long she's been in a particular industry. But Rhonda, you already outed yourself. She said you've been in this industry 40 years. So that means you're at least 45. And um, <laughs> yeah. I started during the child labor laws. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm sure it felt yeah, that June way. June 7th. June 7th was my 40th year wow. anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. That, that's really yeah. remarkable. That's a great career. And uh, that's funny. I, I, you and I've been working together for literally half, all of my real estate career and half of yours. So that's uh, yeah. that's cool. Well, but the great thing, Chris, mm-hmm. is every single morning I still get to put my feet on the floor and say, I wonder who I get to say yes to today. And I just makes my day. I don't know. That's my, my mission of every day is I get to say yes to somebody that says, yes, you can qualify to buy your home. And what a lot of people wouldn't understand is that that's that's real. I mean, that's uh, like, I know you, I've known, like I said, I've known you half of your career and uh, that's how you really feel. So I, I love that you say that here openly and publicly, but I can back it up and say, that's just how she feels. I know that. Uh, that's so yeah. sincere. I appreciate that. But I got some criticism. I had Robert G. Allen, I call him the OG of, of real estate um, investing and, and really started writing back in the early 1980s. In fact, 1981, I believe his Zero Down or No Money Down book came out. And he became a nationwide figure, and and he still travels the world, actually, talking to people. Just prior to our conversation, he was in Sicily talking to people about multiple streams of income and investing in real estate. And the criticism I got from our conversation was, Chris, it sounded too easy. His prescription is buy two homes a year. Uh, Yours is buy four homes and hold them. And, And you just make it sound so easy, but people do struggle with this. It's not as easy as you make it sound. And I, I don't think I've ever tried to make it sound easy. I want to make people feel that it's possible for them if they do certain things, such as learning to save so you can invest. You can't save your way to wealth, but you can invest your way to wealth if you can learn to save. So Rhonda, mm-hmm. how do you handle that when somebody owns a home and they want to own that next home? What's step one, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah it is not easy, Chris. <laughs> it is not easy, especially in this environment. Um and and there's a lot of work to do you know my favorite strategy honestly is to buy a multifamily like a fourplex uh this year and then maybe buy a duplex as an owner occupant next year and then maybe buy a single family the next year and um and then start working on those investments uh properties and that way your multifamily properties might be able to be helping you save that money for the down payment on an investment property mm-hmm. um um, and so that's, that's my favorite way of people when they come and talk to me and say, my goal is to own several pieces of investment property. Then that's where I like to try to start out is start off as an owner occupant in a couple of multifamilies and then move on to the sec- uh, single families because, um, to buy an investment property, if it's a single family, you can get away with as low as 15% down, but a multifamily, you're going to need 20 to 25% down. And so that's a lot of cash if you do it with just traditional financing. 
It is. And so we're we're kind of dangerously dancing around the edge of, yeah, okay, well, that sounds really easy again. What's step one? I, I would just tell you, somebody that's never done this before or hasn't bought a home for six or seven or eight years, get pre-qualified. It can be that easy, right? Talk to Rhonda Johnson, yeah. go to rondajohnson.net, start a conversation online with you and figure out um, what you're capable of today and what you can do to create that space where the fourplex or the duplex or a single family home could be reality for you. Is this time consuming? Does it cost any money to get pre-qualified? No, it does not cost any money whatsoever. And, you know, it, it takes just a very little bit of time. I mean, I can pre-qualify somebody if I have all their documents probably within an hour. Mm -hmm. um, it's gathering those documents and stuff. That's a little bit of work on the buyer's side uh, to get all your pay stubs, tax returns, bank statements, all that stuff together so I can review it. But once I have that in my hands, it takes me about an hour. And then we just do some mortgage planning. We um, come up with the strategies depending on what your kind of long-term goals are. And I've even had clients that currently own their single-family home as an owner-occupied home that they bought maybe as a first-time home buyer and now they're selling it so that they have the funds to go get into a multifamily and then they're going to kind of start over again with building that investment portfolio so we just look at what those opportunities are i have other clients that strategize with buying a home to pay for college educations so they'll buy that investment property uh, rent it out and then when children are old enough to go to school if they choose to go to school, then they sell that home and that pays for that, that kid's uh, college education in full. And basically somebody else paid for it. So some I have about half a dozen people under that strategy right now as well, where every year or two they're buying another home to help pay for college educations in the future. So you can plan on needing about 15% minimum of a down payment and then Closing costs, as we've discussed many times, can be shifted in the negotiations from the buyer's plate to the seller's plate if they're willing. And that that because cash out of pocket is one of the biggest barriers to entry yes. that I run into. But I'm guessing then credit and income would, would follow uh, right after that. Right. Credit, income and assets. Now, a couple other things that I have people do is, um, you know, a lot of times they might have a 401k. And you can borrow up to $50,000 from your own self out of your retirement account. No penalties for early withdrawal, nothing like that. You pay yourself back with interest back into your 401k. And I'll have people use those funds to get into their next one or two homes. Um, uh, you know, and then again, as your, um, I always suggest to my clients that are owner occupying a multifamily to put the rent that they are saving by having other renters pay the payment, go ahead and put their portion of the rent that they would normally pay into a savings account. And that helps them save up for the next home that they're going to buy. So don't just skate without making a house payment. Go ahead and make your house payment, but put it into a savings account that's meant just for real estate investing. So definitely we both admit and agree it's not quote easy but nothing good ever is there is no easy path to wealth there's no easy button and no. i think what happens is the people that enjoy this start talking about it and start talking about it in a way that it's like oh this is this is a strategy that's easy once you know how to do it or once you've played the game for a while but i will say this after 21 years of working with you rhonda as our mortgage broker 
I still cringe when I have to pull all the documents together. And it's still, so again, that's not easy, but it's so well worth it. Um, as well as getting creative, just like you mentioned, the 401k option, maybe tapping into some equity if it makes sense in your primary residence to move into the yeah. next residence and so yeah. on. And if you're willing to move a little bit and follow the plan and the path, you will end up with wealth. Yeah, and I have people that will save their uh, PFDs uh, from year to year and put that into um, a real estate investing account. Um, so tax refunds. So they kind of have that um, okay, I paid the doctor and I got a reimbursement from my insurance. I'm going to put that in that account. So all of these little little pieces of money ultimately add up so that you have those funds for closing. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind is on an investment property, the seller can help out, but they're limited to 2% on an investment property. So you will have some additional closing costs as well. Mm. Hey, and Chris, one more thing um, that just came out yesterday was our HUD-184 loan program for Alaska Natives, American Indians, um, just reduced their mortgage insurance premium from 1.5% to 1%. That gets financed into the loan. And they used to have a monthly premium that you had to pay, and they've just dropped that as well. So for Alaska Natives or American Indians, then that's a really great product to get into a first home. And if all of this sounds like too much for a step one kind of conversation, <laughs> then just remember this. RhondaJohnson.net is your step one. Rhonda, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Have a really great day. If I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand single family homes and I and had a way of managing, the management is enormous. It's really a problem because they're one by one. They're not like apartment houses. So, but. I would load up on them, and I would I would take mortgages out at very very low rates. I wanna be a billionaire, so freaking bad. Buy all of the things I never. I talked to somebody in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the other day, who said the billionaires are pricing out the millionaires in Jackson Hole. You want to own more of your own backyard. You don't need to wait for the billionaires to come in. You own your own backyard and reap the benefits. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. We'll be right back with The Secret to Lasting Wealth. A different city every night. Oh, I, I swear. The world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. Direct from Homer, Alaska. Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. Here's the host of Backyard Millionaire, Chris Story. How do you budget your life? I mean, is there a budget for life? And are you running a deficit or a surplus? Well, I've got the answers. It's actually kind of fun when you think about it. When you think about budgeting your life, you've got just a handful of categories. And if you look at it that way, again, it could become a game. So what are the categories of life with which you can budget? Well, you can budget your money, you can budget your time and what you do with your time you can budget your mental attitude. And, and depending upon how you spend or invest your time, how you spend or invest your money, or what you invest into your own mind, and how you spend your mental capacity is going to determine the outcome of your life. I like this idea of, of thinking of it as a budget. So let's start with money. 
How do you spend your money? If you drive through a neighborhood and it's primarily apartments, and, and maybe they're not even in great repair. Maybe it's a neighborhood where you, you don't feel comfortable to even park your vehicle. And then you notice something in front of these apartments and you notice very big vehicles, very expensive vehicles. It says something about how that person is choosing to spend their money and not investing, but, but spending their money primarily. That's as pejoratively said, but still, I think it's pretty true. Whereas if you invest your money, I, I like somebody said the other day, you never want to look wealthy. Your goal isn't to look wealthy. If it is, you're probably not investing your money as well as you could. It's probably not earning you what it could be. So how do you spend your money such that you'll have more to invest? That ties into the prosperity that Buckminster Fuller talked about. Prosperity being the amount of money you have going forward in life without having to work for it. Then let's move on to time. How do you budget your time? How do you budget activities within the time allowed for you to live? Everybody's got 24 hours a day. Billionaires, trillionaires, millionaires, hundred thousand heirs and thousand heirs and hundred heirs all have 24 hours in a day. So how do you, how do you spend your time? How do you invest your time? I like to think of it as my morning routine. I learned this from Tony Robbins 25 years ago, and I've used it ever since pretty uh, strictly. I, I, I really can count on probably one hand over the last 25 years where I've deviated from this greatly. You know, when you're sick, sometimes you, you alter, sometimes when you're traveling. But, but here's the cool thing about how I budget or invest my time in my morning routine, my morning hour of power, as Tony calls it. I take it with me. It's like your favorite pair of shorts. You could take it anywhere. You could take your morning routine with you. So when I go to Florida, when I go to Hawaii, when I go to Arizona, wherever it is that I'm going to get warm, we bring with us, Tiffany and I both, our morning routines. And we're, as Khalil Gibran said in The Prophet, the secret to a great relationship or great marriage is to drink together, but not of the same cup. And so we have this, we have this hour of power we each take, but it doesn't have to be together. We like to be in separate rooms for the morning. Like, you know, we, we work together, we invest together, we spend our entire life together. So these morning routines we each have are done separately, but I invest an hour each morning at a minimum, no matter where I am, into my morning. That's an investment. In the evening, I'll admit to you, we like to indulge in some television. And in, in one of our favorite shows is Frasier. And so we'll, 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 we'll spend an hour watching a couple of episodes of Frasier or Modern Family or something just to make us laugh and sort of ring out the day. It's not hyper-political. It's not topical. It's not timely. It's, it's older material. There's nothing really in the moment that's happening that's bringing us back to the realities of the world. It's a nice escape, but it's a spend expenditure. It is not an investment. Reading, writing, uh, meditating, going through a mindfulness practice, yoga, anything like that, that's an investment of time. Watching television, it's an expenditure, but we budget it. 
And I feel like we have a pretty healthy balance in that arena. How about you? And then there's your mental investment, your mental budget. How much time are you investing in your attitude, your thoughts? What do you believe? Have you budgeted anything towards spending some time thinking about your beliefs and living in that space and how you think? Have you ever thought for a minute about how you think sometimes of yourself, what you would say to somebody who spoke to you that way. So how what you, you would throw them out. It's like Zig Ziglar used to talk about somebody coming into your house with a garbage can, a full garbage can, and dumping it into the center of your living room. You would get up and take them out by the ear after they picked up the trash. And yet mentally, many of us are spending time in these places, not investing in our mental attitude, but spending time on, on frivolous rivalries, arguments, just and, and self-defeating thinking. Whereas Zig would call it stinking thinking. <laughs> that expression drives my brother nuts. My brother is not a big fan of self-help kind of expressions or things. So I like to, and if he says something, sometimes I go, that's stinking thinking. And then he will strike me. But your attitude, are you budgeting time to work on your attitude, to work on who you are? Because trust me, all three of these budgets will impact who you become, your money, your time, and your attitude. And if you budget accordingly, you can achieve great wealth right where you are with what you've got. And you don't need, by the way, money to make money when you think about it like this. You don't need to have started with great wealth to achieve even greater wealth. You can start right where you are. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground, won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down, gonna stand my ground. And I won't back down. I want to talk to you about renting to own and also share with you the greatest secret in the world when it comes to wealth. I will stand my ground and I won't back down. I'm pretty convinced that you, even if this sounds too good to be true, sounds too easy, can you really make a million bucks in your own backyard? Yes. If I can do it, you can do it. I say that with all humility aside. I did text somebody the other day. They, they picked up a copy of my new book, The Watchman. And he said, Chris, I've noticed your books are getting thicker and thicker. Doyevsky, your Doyevsky, whatever. He said, it's like, ain't got nothing on you. And uh, I said, but the difference between him and I is that I'm made greater by my humility. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I lost track of why I was even thinking about this. I got lost in my own greatness, which is surely 
the next step before I stumble. I also want to talk to you about managing your property and how to diversify your portfolio. So much to discuss. Let's start with renting to own. What I really mean to say is rent like you own. Very few opportunities exist today to rent to own. People still ask as though it's 1988, is there a lease option available on this? No, not an option. It, look, I don't mean to be negative on that. It can happen. I don't begrudge anybody for asking. Worth a try. Probably not going to happen. Early occupancy sort of usurped that lease to own and an early occupancy is essentially, look, let's make a deal on the property, but we won't close for, say, six months, eight months, 10 months, two months. You get to occupy the place, but you're a tenant um, with a purchase and sale and a deal date forward. But that, that's, um, that's about the extent of what we see as far as renting to own. But you can rent like you own and, and never let this be said by you. Oh, well, that's been broken for three months. No, as a tenant, nothing should be broken for three months that you haven't brought to the attention of your landlord. See something, say something. Um, take an interest in how things are getting done and when they get done. And yeah, it's fine to be the squeaky wheel, but take an interest in maybe doing some things yourself because you're training yourself and there's no better training for a future fortune than to actually rent like you own the place. Tiffany and I went through this. This is real world experience, I'm telling you. We were handed a pasteboard box with a set of keys to 16, no, excuse me, 20 units in two different buildings, three different buildings, actually. And we were a 10-key adding machine, a couple of ledger books, bank deposits, bank books, all the whole nine yards. And the, the little 85-year-old couple that owned the properties left the state and said, run it like you own it. And we did. We did for seven years. Never even occurred to me that it wasn't my job. Never even occurred to me that in exchange for the free rent that I ought to, um, well, that's not my job. No, everything became our job. One, one unit we rented, um, Tiffany and I, it, it, we went to the landlord and said, we'd like to replace the flooring in here. Do you mind if we do the work, you buy the tile, I'll install it. And they said, well, do you know how to install tile? And I said, no, but I'll learn. And I did, and I did a good job. And the tile, by the way, this is almost 28 years ago, is still there. That's how good a job I did. Back to that arrogance again. Well, it's kind of more like confidence. And I'm confident that you can rent like you own. So one day you will. Now we're going to flip over to property management and I'll share with you the greatest secret in the world to wealth where you are with what you've got when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Bob Parsons failed the fifth grade. Thereafter, every grade got more difficult for him. That is until the middle of high school where Bob says he discovered girls and alcohol. By the end of his high school career, knowing he wouldn't graduate, Bob decided to join up with the Marine Corps, a decision that would land him in Vietnam, where six months into his tour, he'd receive a Purple Heart for having been shot came home to Baltimore. He then went on to go to college and graduate with honors on a GI Bill and built a technology company, which Bob would later go on to sell for some $64 million. So he could start another company that you know and you maybe use yourself called GoDaddy, 
which he then later would sell for $2.5 billion. All of this to say that Bob Parsons made a billion dollars in his own backyard of Arizona. And, and then, once he did that, he committed to something. Bob Parsons committed to giving away a million dollars every week in Phoenix, Arizona, his hometown, his adopted hometown. A million dollars a week, Bob Parsons gives away. And he's got a few rules for life. Jordan Peterson move over because Bob Parsons has 16 rules for life. He says, get out, get out of and stay out of your comfort zone. Never give up. When you're ready to quit, you're closer than you think. When you're worried, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And then embrace it. Focus on what you want to happen. Take things one day at a time. Always move forward. Be quick to decide. Measure everything you wish to improve. Look closely at the areas you haven't examined for a while. Pay attention to your competitors, but pay more attention to what you're doing. Never let anyone push you around. Never expect life to be fair. Solve your own problems. Don't take you too seriously. And always remember, there's always a reason to smile. It's Bob Parsons. He's got something to learn from. I'm Chris Story, and you're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. But what's all the wealth in the world mean to you if you don't know the meaning of life? What if the meaning of life is actually simply the pursuit? The pursuit of what you're here to do that only you can do. Stephen Pressfield, author of The War of Art, says that the artist's journey is about mental strengths. And those are, as he describes, as follows. Courage, honesty, particularly with yourself, self-confidence, humility. Isn't that interesting? Those two are together. Compassion for yourself and others. The ability to receive criticism objectively. Patience, curiosity, open-mindedness, receptivity to the new. The ability to focus the ability to defer gratification, will, and mental toughness, and the capacity to endure adversity, injustice, and indifference. This, what if the pursuit of these things is truly the meaning of life? Compassion. Following your path. I think a lot of us get stuck in the path or the rut of an inertia in forward motion from where we've been going, where we were expected to go. But the reality is the meaning of your life is going to be dependent upon how and where you choose to live and what you choose to do and who you choose to do it with. Can you make tidy profits in tiny spaces? Well, I own a storage company, storage unit company. I can say yes. Yes, you can. But what about tiny homes for you or to rent? Could tiny homes be the answer for our housing shortage? Maybe. But maybe they could be the answer for a foundation of your own future wealth. However, I want you to be a little bit careful before you just jump into a tiny home. Make sure that you actually think about what value you're adding to the property, what value you're adding to the, our area, your neighborhood, your community, 
in your life and your finances. So to be able to create a foundation of wealth with tiny homes, you better have a foundation. A lot of tiny homes are put on wheels and those are not financeable. That's a mobile home and you can't finance it. So you need to make sure that if you do build a property with a tiny home or two or three or four or more, that you actually think about how to finance them with a foundation, a full bathroom, and not with a a cruise ship style where you have a drain in the middle of the floor and a shot, you know, no, a real full bathroom and at least one bedroom slash sleeping area that isn't the kitchen fold out. Now, if you are going to put more than one on a property, you no matter what you do, you need to check your zoning always and covenants, but then also consider privacy. So if you're doing a multiple of, of these buildings on a lot or a parcel, make sure that everybody's got a little bit of privacy. Really think about window placement, think about shrubbery, think about fencing, think about creating some privacy for long-term enjoyment of the property. And then please, for the love of God, think about your neighbors. Be a decent property owner, be a decent neighbor, and consider how your project is going to impact your area. And whatever else you do, talk to your neighbors. Even if it's not required for the zoning laws in your area, talk to your neighbors They may not exactly like what you're planning to do, but talk with them and find out how you can work in concert with the neighborhood instead of against it and creating uh, bad relationships because that's not good for anybody. So with rents, I guess if you you look around the world, rents are on the rise. There's no doubt about it. It's undeniable. Availability is low and probably will stay low for a while. So I'm, I'm predicting you can make some tiny profits with tiny spaces, but I'm asking you to just do a little bit of pre-planning. Talk to your realtor before you actually break ground and or roll something onto a property and think that you're you're investing in the property. Because be careful because there's things you need to know and your realtor can provide that advice. If you want advice on who to talk to in your area, go to my website, ilovehomeralaska.com. And no matter where you are, we'll find you somebody. Let's talk about property management from the files of the Backyard Millionaire. Got a couple pieces of advice I'll rip through pretty quick. I want you to follow your gut when you're thinking about tenants. Instincts matter. Follow your gut. If you've got a really bad feeling, follow it. Follow the law, irrespective. You know, you got to follow the law. Know the landlord-tenant law in your area. Follow the money. Does, does the prospective tenant make enough money? You're not doing them a favor to say yes if it's only going to hand them a bigger shovel with which to dig a hole for them and you. It's not a favor. Follow the money. Follow the history. Property managers disagree with me on this a little bit. I say credit report doesn't mean a lot. It means something. It says something. But it doesn't say everything. I've never, in my 28 years of managing properties, I've never once relied on a credit report. Not once. I just don't. I rely on instincts combined with landlord statements, past landlord, past tenant history. That means everything. How you do anything is how you do everything. When it comes to your living space, you might have the world's worst credit. You might owe uh, some hellacious medical bills that were out of your control. There might be something about you running up your credit cards, but if you've always historically been a great tenant, left the place cleaner than you found it, we're cooperative, non-disturbing, non-destructive, and you paid on time. That means a lot. So this is what I suggest you look for as a backyard millionaire manager. 
And tenants, I guess I would advise you, just hear that because your, your best behavior today ensures your best rental opportunity tomorrow. And yeah, some landlords are just not very good. So I get it. Sometimes you have to leave a situation and you're, no matter what you do as a tenant, sometimes you're just never going to get a good word out of that guy or that gal because they're just mean. That's the exception, not the rule. All right, I've teased you this entire hour. Now it's time for the greatest secret to wealth in the world. I learned this in a book that my grandfather had purchased in 1953. For 50 cents, he bought this book. It said so right on the cover. The title of the book was called How to Make Money. Wow, <laughs> what a great title, How to Make Money. The answer is in six words. So the secret to wealth is hidden in plain sight inside of these six words which I, if I were to get a tattoo, I think this is what, eh, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe this is an inappropriate tattoo. But nevertheless, it is truly, truly and truthfully the greatest secret to wealth. Here we go. Six words. Find a need and fill it. That's it. Find a need and fill it. The end. I mean, that should have been the end of the book. It could have been the end of the book. But they go on to talk about case studies of everything from Wrigley Gum. This is written again in 1953, so it's all pre- you know, pre-Korean War stories about people making money, Q-tips, how the first Q-tip, the Johnson Motor, um, like I said, Wrigley, a gum, all, all the kind of businesses that you can think of from the, the 20s, 30s, and early 50s outlined in this book. But the ultimate quote and the ultimate subtitle is, find a need and fill it. And I'm telling you, housing will always be a need. Always. I want you to diversify your portfolio, have an 80-20 balance, 80% residential, 20% commercial. Because when the demand is strong or the economy is weak, it doesn't matter. Strong or weak economy, demand will always be there for residential. And when things are going great, commercial is wonderful, office space wonderful. But when the market turns, the canary in the cave or the coal mine is commercial. It's the first to die off and the last to come back. Residential will stay strong. Find a need and fill it. Steve Jobs said, people don't know what they want until you give it to them. Well, we know what we want. We want you to make a million bucks in your own backyard. For all of us here at The Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you to look forward in life, learn from your past, but never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present. 